The term money has two very different meanings in popular discourse. We often speak of someone making money when we really mean that he or she is receiving an income. We do not mean that he or she has a printing press in the basement churning out green-backed pieces of paper. In this use, money is a synonym for income or receipts. It refers to a flow, to income or receipts per week or per year. We also speak of someone's having money in his or her pocket or in a safe deposit box or on deposit at a bank. In that use, money refers to an asset, a component of one's total wealth. Put differently, the first use refers to an item on a profit and loss statement, the second to an item on a balance sheet. In this book, I shall try to use the term money exclusively in the second sense, as referring to an item on a balance sheet. I say try because with the use of the term as a synonym for income or receipt so ubiquitous, I cannot guarantee that even I, who have been aware for decades of the importance of distinguishing between the two uses, will not occasionally slip and use the term in the first sense. One reason why money is a mystery to so many is the role of myth or fiction or convention. I started this book with a chapter on stone money precisely in order to illustrate that point, to make the same point in a way that is perhaps more relevant to the everyday experience of most of us, consider two rectangles of paper of about the same size. One rectangle is mostly green on the back side and has a picture of Abraham Lincoln on the front side, which also has the number five in each corner and contains some printing. One can exchange pieces of this paper for a certain quantity of food, clothing or other goods. People willingly make such trades. The second piece of paper, perhaps cut from a glossy magazine, may also have a picture, some numbers and a bit of printing on its face. It may also be coloured green on the back, yet it is fit only for lighting the fire. Whence the difference? The printing on the $5 bill gives no answer. It simply says, Federal Reserve Note, the United States of America, $5. And in smaller print, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Not very many years ago, the words will promise to pay were included between the United States of America and $5. Did that mean the government would give you something tangible for the paper? No, it meant only that if you had gone to a Federal Reserve Bank and asked a teller to redeem the promise, the teller would have given you five identical pieces of paper, having the number one in place of the number five and George Washington's picture in place of Abraham Lincoln's. If you had then asked the teller to pay the one dollar promised by one of these pieces of paper, he would have given you coins, which, if you had melted them down, despite its being illegal to do so, would have sold for less than one dollar as metal. The present wording, no longer with a promise to pay, is at least more candid, if equally unrevealing. The legal tender quality means that the government will accept the pieces of paper in discharge of debts and taxes due to itself, and that the courts will regard them as discharging any debt stated in dollars. Why should they also be accepted by private persons in private transactions in exchange for goods and services? The short answer, and the right answer, is that private persons accept these pieces of paper because they are confident that others will. The pieces of green paper have value because everybody thinks they have value. Everybody thinks they have value because in everybody's experience they have had value as is equally true for the stone money of Chapter 1. The United States could barely operate without a common and widely accepted medium of exchange, or at most a small number of such media. Yet the existence of a common and widely accepted medium of exchange rests on a convention. Our whole monetary system owes its existence to the mutual acceptance 
of what, from one point of view, is no more than a fiction. That fiction is no fragile thing. On the contrary, the value of having a common money is so great that people will stick to the fiction even under extreme provocation. But neither is the fiction indestructible. The phrase, not worth a continental, is a reminder of how the fiction was destroyed by the excessive amount of continental currency the Continental Congress issued to finance the American Revolution. The numerous inflations throughout history, whether the recent moderate inflations in the United States, Britain and other advanced countries, or the very large recent inflations in South and Central American countries, or the hyperinflations after World Wars I and II, or the more ancient inflations going back to Roman times, have demonstrated the strength of the fiction and indirectly its usefulness. It takes very high rates of inflation, rates well up in double digits that persist for years.